This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. I want to say three things by way of introduction. Obviously, this is a long passage with a lot of detail that we will not be able to cover fully. Second thing I want to say is that uh, I was informed that I was going to preach uh, yesterday evening because uh, Pastor Andrew Wong uh, is not feeling well. And the uh, third thing I want to say by introduction is uh, how appropriate this passage, uh, what God has prepared for us to think and consider and study in these times, because obviously this passage addresses fear, addresses things that happen to us, and obviously we live in a climate of uh, some fear right now. You might have seen in your social media uh, pictures like these. I, I think, I think uh, even though the SARS virus is, you know, 10% uh, fatality, whereas this one is, uh, as the Prime Minister has said, outside of China, 0.2%, but uh, we display so much more fear now, I think, has to do a lot with uh, social media and receiving things like this. So let's uh, ask God to help us as we hear his word. Uh, Father, how kind of you, uh, not from our planning, but in your great providence, uh, you give to us a word that so appropriately so explicitly deals with uh, the situation, uh, the fears that we have. Uh, please, would you help us to see our Lord Jesus more clearly, that we may indeed fear Him and trust Him. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, notice what uh, Mark tells us in verse 35, uh, the very first episode of our passage, that day, that day, Can you remember what has already happened that day? Uh, That was the day when Jesus had gathered his disciples and told them about the parables he had been teaching. Now, what were the parables all about? I think in summary, Jesus was teaching that even though he is a rejected preacher, because he's gone around, he's been teaching, but what has been the response of the religious leaders? They have opposed him, and they have opposed him so much that in chapter 3, verse 6, they want to kill him. Right? This is how rejected a preacher Jesus is. And so it is in that climate that Jesus teaches, yes, even though I am rejected, even though my, my words, my teaching is rejected, the point of the parables is that it is true, his seemingly insignificant through his seemingly weak words, that the kingdom of God, the mighty, the glorious kingdom of God, nevertheless, is through his words that it will come. So you you get it? Uh, He's rejected, but he tells his disciples, okay, even though I'm rejected, but it is still my teaching. It is my teaching that will bring in the kingdom of God. Now, what Jesus taught What he said, if you like, in theory, that his words are powerful to bring in the kingdom. In these next few episodes, Mark has grouped them here because now Jesus demonstrates. He demonstrates how his word is powerful. And by his word, the kingdom of God will be brought in. Now, so we will see uh, the 
furious forces of nature calmed. We will see demonic forces, you know, exercised. We will see disease cast away. We will see death overturned. All of these are the, the characteristics of this age. But Jesus is able to bring in the kingdom. The kingdom where nature and humanity will be at peace. The, the kingdom where there will be no disease or death or demons. And so it is in these situations that Jesus, I mean, he could have just done this. But Mark records that he, with a word, steals the storm, exercises the demons, raises the dead. So what he taught, in theory, in the parables, he now demonstrates that he has, by the power of his words, the ability to bring in the kingdom of God. So let's uh, look at the, the first, first episode. And we will see um, that Mark has taken time and great effort to record just how desperate the situations uh, that the people are facing are. So uh, they get onto a boat and they want to get to the other side. And verse 37, a furious squall came up. That is not a bird. Okay? I take it it is referring to some storm or other. Okay? So, uh, I am told, uh, by theory, that because of the geography of, uh, you know, this, this, this river, I'm uh, sorry, this, 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 this lake, because of the way the hills are, it forms a funnel so that when the wind blows through, uh, the storms there can get really bad. Okay, so we need to notice that the people on the boat are not city folk, you know, Singaporeans like us who have only go to the beach, you know, play with sand. But these are seasoned fishermen, right? They have spent their lives since they were young, you know, going out to the sea. I mean, they have faced their share more than their share of storms. But but this storm, this storm is so bad that they are afraid like genuinely for their lives. We see in verse 38 that uh, the disciples see Jesus sleeping there and they wake him up and they go, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? I mean, we are going to die. We, you know, I mean, this storm is, and you can be here sleeping. I mean, that's how desperate the situation was. That even seasoned fishermen, they are genuinely afraid for their lives. And so Jesus gets up, and as I said, he could have just done this, but to demonstrate, to show them, yes, his word has the power to still the chaotic forces of nature. He says, quiet and be still. And like, oh, how I wish we had this power over our kids, right? You know, come down, you know, like, <laughs> but Jesus, over more than uh, you know, two-year-old throwing a tantrum, over a furious storm, he says, quiet, and it is completely calm. And then their response is, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Okay, we'll come back to this. Let's look up to the, the next episode. Now, Jesus said they will get to the other side, and indeed, they do get to the other side. And when they reach the other side, Jesus gets out of the boat, and once again, Mark slows down and goes into the detail of how desperate the situation is. Because this man, demon-possessed, and we are told that he lived in the tombs. He dwells among the dead people. 
And uh, even though he had been bound with chains before, like maybe there were times when he was a bit more docile, the, the villagers were able to bind him with chains, but even then, he could overcome them, break the chains, and no one could bind him anymore. No one was strong enough to subdue him. And, and this picture of this man so traumatized and demon-possessed that he wandering night and day among the tombs, you know, crying out, cutting himself. I mean, the picture here is one where all human effort has proved hopeless. The helplessness of our human strategies and resources. And so this man comes to Jesus, he falls down in front of him, and what do you want to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? He cries out, in God's name, don't torture me. Now, I, I take it that this is uh, the demon speaking, because Mark tells us, verse 8, For Jesus has said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. And so the demons are begging, begging Jesus for mercy. And then we are told, uh, just to add to how desperate the situation is, that this man is actually possessed by a legion of demons, not just one, but a legion. And Jesus casts out the demons, and the demons are sent into a herd of pigs, uh, about 2,000 pigs. And these pigs uh, commit suicide. Okay? They run off the cliff and uh, jump into the water and they die. Okay, so all the you know, animal lovers... All the pork lovers are going, oh, what's happening here? You know, what, what a waste of good pork, right? Or something like that. And then animal lovers are like, what, what's God doing? You know, why is he, why is he taking it out on the pigs? Okay, so, uh, I think a few things we need to say. Uh, trust me, God cares more about the pigs than, uh, we do. I mean, He created them, right? He's their creator. And I think the reason why the demons are cast out into the 2000 pigs, because it is one thing to hear that there are a legion of demons possessing this man. Legion, what's a legion, right? A legion, I mean, it's just a word. But when you actually see the demons cast out and they instead possess a herd of pigs that is 2,000 strong, then you get some sense of just how mighty, just how many the demons that were in this man. And before this confrontation, you might have expected, okay, okay Jesus, uh, you know, like you, you play the appropriate uh, music, uh, you know, like some Western showdown, you know, high noon, and then like two cowboys coming. I mean, you expect some showdown, you know, maybe the good guy will definitely win, but there's no fight. There's not even a fight. Jesus just says, out, and that legion of demons out, because he is trying to show us, to demonstrate that by his words, he has the power to bring in the kingdom of God, the kingdom where the demons will be no more, where the demonic forces will be part of history. And so, uh, what happens next is uh, the townspeople come and they, they look at the man, the man that who was once demon-possessed, the one, the man who was once out of his mind, the man who was once out of control, but now sitting, clothed, in his right mind, you know, maybe he can do the multiplication tables, you know, no problem. And, 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 and then they look at Jesus, and they look at hey, the empty space where the pigs were, and their response is 
fear. And they asked Jesus to leave. Now, why they do that? We'll come back to this. Now, the, the next story that we are told is of uh, Jesus. And he's back on the other side of the lake. And one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus comes. And you can see he comes and he is a desperate man. And he's desperate because his little daughter is dying. And obviously she has heard of Jesus' power to heal. And so she begs, uh, he begs that Jesus will go and heal his daughter. So he goes. Jesus follows the man. And in between this story of Jairus begging and Jairus' daughter being healed, I mean, Mark has placed right in the middle um, another account of another woman. Now, we have seen Mark doing this. Uh, it's called uh, a Mark sandwich. You know, so a sandwich has bread and then, I don't know if your sandwich got what about my sandwich got vegetables. Okay, so bread, vegetables, and then bread, right? Okay, so... Um, into this one story of Jairus' daughter, Mark has placed in between, interweaved into this story, another story. And the reason for this is we are supposed to understand and interpret the two stories together. Okay, so what is the middle story? The middle story, again, is another one of desperate situation. And we are told that this woman was there and she had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. 12 years. I mean, like this Wuhan thing has gone on for, I mean, like less than 12 weeks and we're already like, <laughs> already there. So this poor woman, this bleeding, ongoing for 12 years, and because of the bleeding, she is considered unclean. And to be considered unclean in a society means you, number one, cannot go to the temple. Number two, among the community, you are some sort of an outcast as well. Because if people touch you, then they will be considered unclean. <laughs> a bit like this virus thing, right? Okay. So, so she's gone around for 12 years. Cannot go to the temple to worship God and she's cut off from a community. And what's more, we are told, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. I mean, instead of going to the doctors and getting, you know, tender loving care, you know, some TLC and, you know, the medicine and feeling better, she has suffered under these doctors and what's more, she has spent all that she has had. She has now become destitute. I mean, like you can see, Mark just slows down and just helps us see that this is a desperate situation. But what is her response when she heard about Jesus? She thinks to herself, ah, okay, I mean, this great healer, he is not going to give me the time of day. I mean, he's, he's so powerful, he's so great. But because he's so powerful, I don't need him to, you know, cast out the, the de uh, disease from me. All I need to do, all I need to do is just touch, just touch the, the, some part of his cloak. And because he's so powerful, I will be healed. And so she does that. And we are told immediately her bleeding stops. I mean, like, can you imagine, like, like, okay, I mean, women can imagine it better. You know, like, you know that you're bleeding. And then the moment she touches Jesus' cloak. That feeling that it stopped. And she knows that she is freed from her suffering. But what happens next is, uh, I think, quite unexpected because in verse 30, Jesus 
realized that power had gone out from him. And then he turned around and said, Who touched me? Who touched me? You know? And then the disciples are going, Hey, hello, we are in this crowd of people and we're walking around Chinatown and, you know, we are just, you know, uh, moving away past people. And then you're asking, Who touched you? But Jesus kept looking around. And the woman, knowing, knowing that he is referring to her, comes trembling before Jesus. And Jesus declares, verse 34, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now, so this is the the middle story that Mark has spliced in between the, the, the bigger one. And so from this point, we continue what happened to Jairus. And you... Try and imagine, right, uh, some of you fathers here, your daughter is really sick. And the specialist, right, the only one who has any chance of healing the daughter, he's on his way, on his way to see your daughter. And then this interruption happens. I mean, you can imagine, right, if you're Jairus, what you're thinking, Hey, Jesus, come on, my daughter, she's, she's on, the, on the brink of death already. I mean, this woman, 12 years. She can wait another day. I mean, come on, come to my daughter now. I mean, like you can imagine like what Jairus is thinking. But people come from the house of Jairus and they say to him, don't bother the teacher anymore. She's gone. She's gone. And Jairus faces, if you like, the most desperate of situations. Because when the daughter was still alive, there was always that hope, always that chance that you could get the right medicine or find the right doctor, or in this case, find the right healer who has the power. I mean, when the daughter is alive, there's always the chance. But once she's dead, once she's dead, I mean, no one gets out from that, right? And Jesus knows. Jesus knows exactly what Jairus is thinking. And so, you can imagine, I mean, Jairus, he's, he's just being told this news and he's, he's frantic. He's like, oh, no, I mean, we're so close. I mean, the teacher was on his way. And then he catches Jesus' eye. And Jairus' eyes, full of panic, full of grief, full of anxiety. But Jesus, you know, if you can imagine, calm. He's in control. He knows what he's doing. He's know, he knows what's going to happen. And he says to Jairus, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Just believe. And it's this emphasis on faith that I think explains why Mark has spliced this account you know, in, into this sandwich. Because the thing that is different about the bleeding woman's healing is that Jesus doesn't heal her by the word. Right? With all the other three episodes, he is demonstrating the power of his word to bring in the kingdom of God. But what is highlighted about the bleeding woman's episode, through the bleeding woman's episode, is her faith. And so, I think quite uh, uncontroversially, the great application, the great response that we are to make to this Jesus who is so powerful that by his word he can bring in the kingdom of God, is that we must trust him, we must have faith in him. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. 
I mean, the people here have faced far greater and more desperate situations than this uh, current virus thing. Don't be afraid. And as we live longer in this life, there may be more desperate situations, more storms, more difficult situations, more fearful situations that we will have to face. But Jesus says, don't be afraid. And so when they get to the house, the mourners are there, you know, the mourners. <laughs> you know, like, okay, and these are professional, like, they're paid one. Like, you know, like, you know, like, part-time, I can go, also go and do that, like, you know. Um, and then Jesus goes in, and then he announces, oh, why so noisy, right? Stop all this. Okay, the child is not dead, but sleeping. But then verse 40, they laugh at him. See, I mean, how you go from crying, mourning, <laughs> and to... <laughs> I mean, like, professionals, right? Professionals, okay. So he goes in, and he took the, the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and they went in, and gently, as gently as Jairus on a school morning, where he went to wake his daughter, you know, all, all the years before, hey, Talita kum, Talita kum, you know, little girl, get up, get up, it's time for school. And as gently as that, Jesus goes and says, Talita kum, and the girl gets up, and then she goes, eh, what's for breakfast today? And then she has something to eat. I mean, that, that is how immediate, how amazing Jesus has defeated death. Because it is He, the one who is authoritative, the one who is powerful through His Word, He brings in the kingdom of God. Now, as I've already said, the great application and response uh, for us to this passage is we must believe, we must see that this Jesus is that powerful one, the one who is able to bring in and restore God's kingdom. But there is also another theme that Mark has uh, you know, traced throughout these episodes, and that is the one of fear. Now notice back in the boat, when the disciples were being swamped by you know, this perfect storm, this storm, that they, you know, like so big that they've never experienced before, this storm that has got even them, you know, uh, afraid and uh, they, they think they're going to die. What happens when Jesus calms the storm? You might think that they go, all right, woohoo, I mean, this, what a story to tell the kids, what a story to tell the wife, I mean, like this will be the storm that we'll be, we'll be repeating over Christmas, you know, for, for the rest of our lives, you know, whoa, you know, we overcome this storm. But no, their response is, great, fear because they have just realized that they are in the boat in the boat with the one who is able to with a word calm the storm i mean who who does that who has the authority to do that i mean like the only one who has such power i mean the only one for whom the wind and the waves hear the voice recognize the voice and will obey the voice must be the creator God himself, I mean, and the disciples, I mean, more frightening than being in the midst of a storm is being in the midst of the one who calms the storm. And they're filled with great fear. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. 
And we see that uh, theme as well for the bleeding woman because she comes trembling, trembling before Jesus. I mean, she's been healed, but that moment of, you know, her faith being made sight, her faith being made concrete, she touched and then, wow, I mean, she's healed. Like, I mean, like, who is this who has such power? And so trembling, she kneels before him. So there's this uh, theme of this fear that is greater than the desperate situation. This fear of Jesus in recognizing and seeing the one who is more powerful, the one who has authority even over these seemingly desperate situations. We fear him more. And I think that is the point, how we trust Jesus in the midst of desperate situations, how we trust Jesus to be able to bring in the kingdom of God in the midst of our fallen world, our brokenness, is that we have to fear him more than we fear the things that this world throws at us. That is how we can trust Him. That is how we can keep faith with Him. That is how we can persevere to the end, trusting that, yes, the kingdom will be brought in. That the, the, the end of the day, it is not sickness or disease or storms or death which will have the last word on the people of God. Because of who He is, how great and how powerful He is, we, we, we fear this one who over all these things can and will establish his kingdom. But there is uh, another uh, wrong response. And I think we saw that in the villagers who saw their pigs disappear and saw this man so powerfully, you know, the demons cast out. And they were afraid. But their fear caused them to ask Jesus, Go away. We, we, we can't take this power. I mean, we, we can't understand. We, we, we don't know what's happening. Go away. So there can be the right response of fear that leads to faith, or this wrong response of fear that leads to rejection of Jesus, to unbelief. So the storms, the disease, the sickness, death itself, they will not have the last word in the lives of the people of God. But that's easy to say when we are not in the storm. You mean for the, you see for the disciples, in the midst of the storm, what are they saying? Verse 38, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? I mean, just think about the question that they're asking. I mean, okay, on one hand, it's very understandable, right? I mean, it's a really big storm. And this guy, you know, they've seen him perform miracles, but he's sleeping. I mean, like, and then they're facing this storm alone, and then they, 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 they fear for their lives. And then they say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? So on one hand, it's understandable. But on the other hand, I mean, you imagine from Jesus' perspective, being asked this question. Don't you care? Don't you care if we drown? I mean, the reason why Jesus was in the boat in the first place 
I mean, the reason why he is even on earth in the first place is because he cares. It's because he cares so much that the Son of God took on flesh, became a Galilean carpenter and, you know, facing uh, the storms, facing hunger, facing, you know, thirst, heat and humidity. I mean, the whole reason why he's here is because he cares. And the whole reason why his word is able to bring in the kingdom of God is because this is the one, the words of whom his body is given up as a sin offering. The whole reason why this world is in this fallen and broken state because of the problem of sin. But this is the one who by his body, who by his shed blood deals with the problem of sin. So fully and finally that yes, that day will come when everything will be restored. When God's people will be saved to sin no more. Be saved to sin no more. This is the one who is powerful, who in the midst of the storm, we can cry out to him, cry out to him. And at times we may doubt. Don't you care? Don't you care? But please remember, he did not just calm the storm. Please remember that he went to the cross. This is how much he cares. May God help us to fear him and trust him. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at btpc.sg.